You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, I just come to you this morning realizing that very much I need you. And I want so much for you to speak life to us today. May we be not only challenged by this message today, but may we be encouraged in it, God. And may we leave here today with, uh, with determination, with excitement, with zeal, with confidence, God. Um, may we today realize that you indeed can change our lives. And uh, so teach us. Holy Spirit, come and teach us the things that we need to know this morning. Let me decrease today that you might increase through me and therefore be glorified in what is said here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, today we're going to be talking about sight recovered. We've already talked about that before uh, uh, in, in, in Jesus healing uh, one blind man. Today we're talking about Bartimaeus. And uh, so we're going to read about him here in just a few moments. Um, and we're going to be talking about, you know, his, his sight recovery, his recovery, uh, all of that. There, there are other forms of recovery. Uh, we hear things talked about. We hear about organizations that help people in various types of recovery. And um, a lot of times when you talk to people about life, uh, there's a reference made to life being a journey uh, or life being a roadway, if you will, all right? And those are, those are pretty good terms. Those are pretty good analogies to, to use, if you will. And, uh, and certainly along your road and my road of life, I think we would, we would look at certain areas. We would you know, evaluate, and we would see times where it was smooth sailing or smooth driving, if you will. Um, and then there are times where it wasn't the case, and we may even look at our roadway and say that it, it at points has been broken, or it's been fragmented, or it's been messy, or it's been washed out, or it's been whatever terms you would like to use, all right? And some of those places in life are beyond our ability to make change. Some of them we can change. Some of them we can change very easily. Some of them it is very, very difficult for us to change. And, and, and those are the areas that, that you wish if you could, you could redo them or relive them or, or at least put them back together or in the past and, and, and move on. But for some reason or another, um, that, that broken part of life's road sometimes doesn't get fixed, or it doesn't get fixed quickly, um, or, or it, it seems to never get fixed. It's, it seems to always be in disrepair. It's kind of like uh, the inner part of Sioux Falls. There's always construction. You know, there's just something always going on, and some kind of repair work is is always being done. Um, it, it doesn't matter who you are. It, it, it doesn't matter how you're living together your life. Uh, uh, it doesn't really matter how other people see it from the outside looking in. What, what really matters is that we are living this life and we are on roads, all of us. And as the body of Christ together, we need to understand that each of us has places along our road where there are some bumps. There are some things that we have to deal with. And so I want to I talk that way to you this morning. I want to talk about sort of, sort of fixing something that, that maybe is associated with this idea or this terminology of recovering something or recovery in, in, in a sense, all right? And I, I don't want to get too far away from 
the simplicity of this miracle by any means. And I don't want to read more into it than I should. But I think this morning that, that we can talk about this idea of recovering uh, something that has been lost or something that should have been had but never was ours and talk a little bit about how Jesus can come into that. And I think we can learn a few things from that, all right? And, um, and, and I would ask you to just think about it. What is it that you need from God right now in your life? What is it that maybe needs to be recovered, if you will? And, and maybe you're, you're here today and, and you just have a broken heart and you've carried a broken heart for years. Maybe there's some wound there and, and you just feel that sense of brokenness in your own heart and maybe it's secret and, and maybe it's silent. I don't know. Maybe you, maybe you come out of a failed marriage. Maybe you have had some kind of financial disaster. Maybe there's, there's a family heartache. Maybe there's a meltdown emotionally. Maybe there's just a totally full-blown spiritual collapse for you. Maybe there's a physical uh, illness that you struggle with and that you've carried for, for many years. Uh, what I want you to do today, or what I want to happen in your heart, in my heart today, is that we hear hope in our lives. That we hear this sense of of God being able to come in, all right? And, and the reason I say this is because I believe that Jesus, and we're going to see it here, He really does specialize in recovering. He really does specialize in, 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 in bringing newness to us and, and, and taking care of things. And, and He can do miraculous things in those areas in people's lives. And, and, and 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says that when someone uh, becomes a Christian, they become a new person. They're not the same anymore. The, the old life is gone and the new life has begun. And, and I think that that's not only... Uh, an act of recovery, if you will, but that is true transformation. And that's where I'd like for us to get to, is to see that, that God's hand can come in and He can do amazing transformational things within our lives. And some of those things do and will require a miraculous component. They will require God doing something that we cannot do. Folks, I believe in my heart that if you could do it, you would do it. <laughs> If, if you're sick enough of some of those places in your life and, and they've hurt enough or they've hurt other people enough and, and you really want to be free of them, I believe if you had the ability to do it and you knew that, that you would do it. But sometimes we don't. And so we, we sometimes need this framework sort of to work out of, all right? And so that's where I'm going to go today with you in this very familiar story found in three of the Gospels, but I'm going to take it out of, out of Mark and uh, it's a story of this man named Bartimaeus and how he's traveling down this road uh, in life and he finds this recovery of sight. All right, and as we read through the story here, I, I, I want you to see if you can and pick out some of the things that he did. I want to help you kind of pick those out and kind of finger those this morning for a few minutes um, and, 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 and create this framework of how you can can find recovery in your own life, all right? How restoration can come in your own life. So if you will, let's look at Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 46, and let's read that together, if you will, all right? They came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho, meaning Jesus, with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, 
he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is a great story. You know, it's just, there's just some really, really great things, all right? And, and, and so before we get into some of those specifics, I, I want to sort of set up the, sort of the context of the story that, that we just read here. Jesus and his disciples are, are making their way through the city, obviously, through the city of Jericho, and they're on their way to Jerusalem. And, and when they finally reach Jerusalem, Jesus will enjoy that triumphal entry, if, if you can call it that, and enjoying. But, but, but it, there'll be that moment of enjoyment where, you know, the crowds all gather around him and they hail him as their Messiah. Uh, but within a week's time from that moment, that same crowd will turn on him and they'll call him names and, and, and call him to crucifixion. And Jesus knows what's awaiting him. He already knows all of this. Already he knows the shame. He knows the humiliation. He knows the agony. He knows that ultimately there's going to be his death. He's carrying all that on his shoulders. He's already walking this pathway to that. He's on that road to the crucifixion, if you will. All right. And so even though all of this is weighing him down here at this point where we pick up this story, all right, Jesus takes the time here to stop. And, and, and on that, that dirty, broken road of life for Barnabas, he ministers to this blind man. Now, I'm going to, let, let me just tell you what's obvious here. And, and, I, and I hope you see it, and I hope you can make the application. If, if Jesus takes the time when he's carrying the burden of his own responsibility and his destiny, all right, if he can take the time, all right, and, and, and the, the inclination and the compassion to deal with someone like poor Bartimaeus, then you need to rest assured, folks, God is ready to do whatever it takes to bring healing and restoration in your life and my life as well. And so I want you to grab a hold of that today and hold on to that as a, as a, as a point of hope for your life, all right? As I watch this in, in, in my head and as I play it out in my mind, this story of Barnabas and his encounter with Jesus, I see several things that I think would be helpful for you and I, and I'd like to pick those up and just kind of put them out there on the table for you today, all right? And, and I'm not saying this is the absolute perfect five-step process, all right, or anything like that. But I think there's some things that, that we can grab a hold of here. And if we will utilize them, if we will implement them, I really believe it will, it will help you and you will be successful in navigating through your own road of life and being able to recover at various times within your own life those places where things have been robbed from you by the enemy, by the evil one. So with that, let me give you the first thing that I, th that I see here. And, uh, and I, I believe these are good things, uh, these things I'm going to say to you. And I would encourage you, write them down 
and, uh, and just evaluate them, look at them as you go through uh, situations in your life. Um, and, and, and I'm going to risk sounding like I'm, I'm a, a sort of a positive confession, you know, life coach kind of guy today. And, and that's okay. I like those kind of guys. Um, you know, uh, and, I, and I'm kind of a positive person for, for the most part, you know. Uh, so I, I kind of like this. But, but the first thing that I want you to realize is that in any time you need to make a change, you need to make a shift, even one that you can't make on your own, you need to seize the moment. All right? And now let me explain what I mean by that. I, I wonder how often Bartimaeus had, had camped out, probably in this same specific area. You know, beggars tend to have their, their place. They have, tend to have a spot that they have as their own. It's, they call it their own, and no one else better take their spot, you know. And, um, and so I, I, I would imagine that Bartimaeus has a, a very specific spot on this roadside, and, and probably hundreds, if not thousands of times during his life, he has sat there, all right? He has sat on this roadside, and he has lived in his existence. He has accepted his fate. He has seen that there's no way for him to get help. There's not going to be any change, and so he comes and he sits there or someone brings him and sits him there and leaves him and that is his sort of lot in life. But today, on this day of this story, everything is different. And the reason it's different is not because Bartimaeus did anything different. He did the same thing he's done day after day after day. Come or be brought to this place and sit there and wait. But today is different because Jesus comes by this way. That's what makes it different. That's, what, that's the standout moment is that, that Jesus comes by this way. And the chances are pretty good, I think, that, that he was simply calling out to people as they're passing by and, and probably using one of those very familiar cliches that we've heard, you know, alms, alms for the poor. Something like that is going on here and people are walking by and some maybe give him something and some don't, all right? But in verse 47 here, everything changes. And when, G- when Bartimaeus hears that, that Jesus is in the crowd and that he's passing by here, and, and I would ask you this question, are your ears open today to hear the things that you really need to hear in your life? Because suddenly Bartimaeus realizes that this is a chance, this is an opportunity, all right? And so he begins, as the, as the crowd is passing by, he begins to shout. And he is shouting, I believe, with passion and with intensity, all right? And he's in, a, he's in a moment. He's in a little window of time, if you will. And he's going to seize that moment. He's going to take advantage of it. He wants to make sure that Jesus doesn't pass him by when he's passing by. And when you think of people who live their life to the fullest, who, who live the kind of life that Jesus describes as abundant, you know, what is, what is it about their life that's so different from my life, you might say? Uh, you know, and then there's probably a long list of things uh, along the way. But, but I, I'm convinced that the, at the head of those people's lives who are living abundantly in Christ, that there is a particular attitude, all right? And that is this, that there's a willingness to do something about their circumstances, They're willing to do something. And this is where I want to challenge you now. I want us to learn from Bartimaeus. Even though he had sat there for day after day after day after day after day. 
and had lived in the same circumstances all of that time, when an opportunity comes his way, he doesn't just say, well, this is just my lot. I'm not even going to try. He seizes the opportunity. He goes after that moment, if you will, all right? And, and there were probably hundreds of people in the crowd, and, and maybe a lot of those needed some kind of recovery. Maybe they needed some kind of healing. Maybe they needed a miracle in, in their lives. But he recognized that this is a divine opportunity. This is a moment I need to grab a hold of. This is that carpe diem, if you will. All right? He seizes the day. He seizes the, the opportunity that is put in front of him. And I, I think that the implication is pretty clear here that, that Jesus likely would have passed him by had he not spoken. I mean, we, we don't know that for sure, but it would, it would seem that way. All right. He's in the crowd. He's lost in the crowd. He's back there somewhere. And if a whole throng of people are walking by and he is sitting on the side of the road and he is begging as he has done all of his life, no doubt he didn't see himself of great value or great worth or great significance. He didn't even know where exactly he was in the context of the crowd other than what he could figure out by voices and noises around him. And so he's in there somewhere, but he doesn't know exactly where he is. He doesn't know exactly where Jesus is. And so he begins to shout, if you will, all right? And, and he shouted at Jesus, and he let him know, all right? When was the last time in your places of need that you really shouted out to God? That, that you spoke to him with this this sense of, you're my answer. It, it's in you. You know, we, we are always looking for how we can do it. How do I take care of myself? I, I am one of the most independent people in the world. You know, my, my early wounds just helped me just build this, this thing around me that says, you know what, I don't need anybody because if I try to depend on somebody, they're going to let me down and hurt me. So I don't need anybody. So I can just disengage and move myself outside of everything because I'll take care of myself. And I was taught that because it was a generational thing. And I carried many of the same wounds that my father carried. And they were just handed down, and the response was handed down, and the defense mechanism was handed down, and, and, and the mindset was handed down, so the stronghold was handed down. I'll take care of myself. And even if you can't identify with that level, I think all of us on some level tend to try to figure it out first by ourselves. And we tend to try to take care of ourselves. And we don't like being dependent on a lot of other people. And we tend not to go to God when we need to. And he was in a place where he realized that he could not do what needed to be done. And you know what he had found out over the years? Neither could anyone else. And no gift ever brought to him took care of him. When's the last time you seized the moment when you felt God's Spirit speaking to your heart? Even like while worshiping here at Life Church, you know, just in, in the worship time, you feel God speaking to you. You, you, you sense something from the Holy Spirit. He's, he's depositing something inside of you, and you grab a hold of it and say, you know what, I need this. I, I, I want this from you, Jesus, because this is what's going to make the difference for me. This is going to strengthen me, encourage me, build me up, you move me, deliver me, set me free, whatever. 
And so we cry out to God. Here's the amazing thing here. Bartimaeus may have been blind, but he wasn't without the ability to see, at least in the sense of perceiving. And so he perceived what was available to him in a moment. And he took advantage of the opportunity. And if seizing the moment is so important, I ask you then, why don't more of us do it? Why don't we go after those moments? Why don't we look for and anticipate those moments in our lives? And I think for a lot of us, it's because of just the familiarity of the lives we live. And we're way more comfortable sitting on the sideline than really getting into the game. And I think deep down there's something in all of us that says, you know what? I remember, I remember that concept being taught somewhere to whom much is given, much is required. And so we don't like to ask of God for something because we don't know what we might feel or perceive are the strings attached to that. I'm going to tell you what, with God it's a free gift. Strings are not attached but in the, in, in the economy of the kingdom, there's this idea that as you are blessed and as you are given, you, you should accept the responsibility to utilize that in cooperation with God and with the Holy Spirit that you might do for others what has been done for you. And that you might give. That's the, that's the whole life-giving dynamic. You know, our lives are going to be only abundant when we live for each other and not for ourselves. And the more we live out of ourselves and for one another, the more abundant our lives can become. This is why Pastor Dave's having struggles every time he drinks a bottle of water. All he thinks about is those kids. But he saw them. He, he, he was there. He walked beside them. He saw their huts and he saw where they don't have water. And he saw the, the diseases that were afflicting some of those children. He has, he has a greater understanding maybe than you and I do. Which, by the way, let me segue for just a moment. He didn't really, he didn't really give you the full picture because he would not do that. But he, he out of his own heart and desire... He was the lobby to World Vision. And he spent hours on the phone trying to figure out who to talk to and how do we do this and how can we stop this. And it was his, his heart being pushed by the Holy Spirit that the whole corporation, if you will, of, of World Vision heard and were moved and are willing to do something that they don't do. It's not in their system anymore to do it that way. They don't do that. And yet they came back and said, here's what we'll do here. And, and I say, praise God. But I say that, to say, and I'm not trying to puff him up. And, you know, don't go and tell him how wonderful he is because you'll make him feel really uncomfortable. All right? Don't do that. Just tell him you appreciate him. That'll be good enough, all right, for him. But, but here's what I want you to understand. If he had sat on the sideline, if he had said, there's nothing I can do about this. If he had said, well, I would have given, but now they're going to change everything. So I, you know, let's, it's going to fold. Let's just be, no. He seized a moment in the most loving and wonderful yet pointed and direct way 
He became a prophetic voice into a corporation, if you will, in a sense. I know that they're nonprofit, and I know they're all about God and, and about the kingdom, but, but there is a, a structure and a corporation at work here. And he says, hey, I need to speak into this. And he starts getting on the phone and starts talking to people, and he starts speaking prophetically into that corporation. And God moves, and hearts are quickened, and it brings change. Woo! <laughs> you can just sit there if you want to, but... <laughs> it's fine, I don't care, but it's not going to stop me. <laughs> I'm crazy sometimes, and I just... This is... this. I think God can do so much more if we can get on board and we can understand some of this stuff. And, and I, I think there's something to realize here in seizing the moment, all right? Barnabas could have just let the moment pass him by. He could have just said, I'm not worthy for Jesus to heal. Jesus is too busy anyway to mess with somebody like me. I don't deserve this. There's a million excuses he could have offered. There's a million things he could have thought but he didn't. He seized the moment. And if God is speaking to your heart today, I believe he is wanting you to respond in some way. And if he's wanting you to respond, there's a reason. There's something in your life that he wants to touch and he, and he wants to deal with. Seize the moment. Don't miss it when God is moving. See, I believe in every worship service at Life Church, the Holy Spirit is there hovering. I believe there's something that God wants to do. I believe there's somebody he wants to tap into. And I believe it can happen for you and for me. I come with anticipation that God will intersect my life in my worship. Part two or number two. I hope that this doesn't offend any of you. But you need to ignore negative people. Ignore them. Ignore them. We say it a little different down south. Ignore them. They don't matter unless you let them matter. And if they matter, it has a negative impact. Alright? One of the hardest things to do on your road of coming out or, 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 or of a situation or recovering or... or, or, or you know, experiencing your miracle, I think, is sometimes to ignore the negative people around you. And I think one of the main reasons is because negative people tend to be quite loud. Even the soft-spoken ones. The, the most dangerous ones are those who come up next to you and say, could I just talk to you for a minute? I don't want to cause any problems here. But I need to tell you something. It's a burden on my heart. You ought to say, devil in the name of Jesus. Get out of that person. Leave them alone. They need to be positive. I am, I am so serious here. It, <laughs> you think that a, a crowd would feel a little compassion for a blind man and let him through. Exactly the opposite happens here. They, they literally try to shout him down. Verse 48 says that the crowd told Bartimaeus, 
be quiet. I've got a feeling they were a bit more graphic than that. Probably they were people in the crowd who were just telling them, just, you know, just shut up. Stop. You shouldn't do this. You're out of order. Their, their, their opinion. Their opinion. Was that probably very likely that Bartimaeus wasn't worth stopping for. And so they, they try. Get this. This is what they're doing. They're trying to control him with their negativity. Ouch church. That is not the way we operate. And I love how Barnabas responds to this crowd of naysayers and negative people. Verse 48 says, and Barnabas shouted louder. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Why is it risky for Bartimaeus to respond this way or to ignore these negative people or get louder than they are, if you will? Or was it negative for him? Was it dangerous for him? Did it have implications for him? You bet your life it did. Folks, these people are his meal ticket. He's a beggar. If he ticks off all these people around him... He's not going to get any alms. And, and, and so he is looking at his support, if you will, for the next day, week, month, year, years, or whatever. But on this particular day, in the multitude of his support, as negative as they may have been in the past. And you know what? If it's getting you something, you'll put up with some negative stuff for a while. Unfortunately. But today it clicks for Bartimaeus in his heart. And he somehow knew that his real hope was in Jesus, not in the crowd. Not in the alms that he had been given. Alright, this is ironic here that most of the people in this crowd probably had somewhere around 20-20 vision. And, but they couldn't see the power and the compassion of Jesus Christ. And here's a blind man who sees it. I think we see that over and over in these parables and these miracles and, and such in the scriptures. Those who could see were blind. And those who were blind could see. But the question in, 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 in this moment is, where do you put your trust? Because see, sometimes if you can't do it for yourself, you, you will go and find someone else maybe who can help you. Before you'll go to Jesus. I just. I, I, that's so crazy isn't it. How we do that. In their eyes. The, the people. Jesus had more important things to do. Than to stop and heal a beggar. And doggone it. I'm afraid that happens in the church. We just got so many important things to do. That we just don't have time to stop. And let Jesus heal somebody. We don't, have, we don't have time to stop and, 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 and be Jesus with skin on to somebody who needs encouraging or being built up or, or helped or counseled or prayed over or loved on or whatever. Seems like all the people in the crowd that day, at least to them, this, this blind man was unnecessary, of no value. 
And yet we look at it and hopefully can see that he is the one who could see. When you find things difficult in your life on your road, when there are washed out places in your road, you've got to learn how to ignore all those negative voices that you will encounter. It's risky business. Because some of those negative voices may have been provision for you along the way. But there's a point where it has to come down to you saying, I know what I need, and it is Jesus. And anything who, that who or what is acting contrary to that, I've got to walk away from that. And, and I've got to let Jesus be Jesus. And that's the same that's true of the church. We as Life Church... If there are places that are washed out in life, church, we, we, we cannot listen to the religious order out there necessarily. If it's negative and critical and says, well, you can't do that. Well, why can't we do that? Well, because the church has never done that. Well, tough. Carpe diem. We're going to seize the day. We're going. We're going. We're going as the Holy Spirit leads us. We're going to let God move us into places that the world would say, you shouldn't go there, you shouldn't do that. You should be quiet. You shouldn't address abortion. You shouldn't address same-sex marriage. You shouldn't talk about sin. You shouldn't call people sinners. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. The reality is that we should. I don't want to get too far out from, from this message here. The third thing is, if you're going to find yourself in a place of miraculous change and or recovery, you're going to have to surrender your old life. This is where it gets hard now. You notice what, what Barnabas did when Jesus called him? It says he threw aside his coat. He, he threw aside his coat. Why, why do you think he did that? And, and why does Mark include that little tidbit in his gospel? I love it. I, I love this. It's fun to play with in a sermon, but I, I, I think it has a lot of insight for us. More than likely, this coat was his only possession, or at least one that he could call his own. He probably sat on it while he begged. He used it to wrap himself up, stay warm against the weather. May have been his blanket at night, who knows. But it was some tangible source of security It, it was something that he had, he possessed, it was, it was his. I have a son who's, who's in the Marines. I hope you're listening to this, Braden. Big, tough Marine. When he got out of boot camp, and we were getting ready to, to, to leave San Diego and come back here. He leaned over to me, gave me a big hug, he says, I love you, Dad. And I said, I love you too, Braden, I'm so proud of you. I said, today you're my hero. And he smiled. And then he said, 
do you still have that little blanket I used to sleep with when I was a kid? Could I take that to North Carolina with me? <laughs> it was a great moment. Go, yeah, you big bad Marine, you. <laughs> yeah. But there, there are some things that, that are tangible to us, and we hold on to them, and they are security to us. I've heard couples say, you know, I don't know what I'll do if I lose my spouse. Because that's their security. They hold on to, to that spouse and things like that. Sometimes you've got to get rid of something even though it's been a security to you. Because see, here's the thing about that one robe that he owned that he threw aside as he got up and, and walked towards Jesus when Jesus called to him is it was the identifier of the blind man. And sometimes you just got to cast off some of that that continually would remind you of what you were. And I love this because before he's even healed, he throws that, that garment off Lays it aside. He gets ready and it's like, I'm coming for a new identity. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I, I'm coming. I'm coming. And, and in some ways, I think it's a wonderful picture of repentance. It's, it's a beautiful analogy of sometimes you just got to take off that old mannerism and that old lifestyle and that old identity and, and put it behind you and now set your face like a flint towards Jesus. And so you're repenting of the old life and you're coming into the new. You're coming towards Jesus and the change that He has for you. And I think that's a marvelous, marvelous, marvelous story. And so by throwing this coat aside, I think Bartimaeus is saying, I'm, I'm selling out to Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm trusting his ability to change my circumstances. And I'm, I'm turning my back on my, my old lifestyle. And you and I sometimes, maybe, as we are going to make the changes in our lives and as, as we're going to experience the miraculous and the healing of God, it is going to require work on our part. And we're going to have to make some you know, 180 changes and 180 turns in our lives. And you've got to be serious about the change that's going on, whether that's physical or emotional or financial or spiritual or whatever. You've got to be serious about the change that needs to come in your life. And so you surrender. You surrender. You give up. You let go of that old way of life and you let Jesus bring a new life to you, a new identity to you. A lot of people around him probably didn't do that. There's probably a lot of in that crowd, that great crowd, that probably thought that, you know what, it's just good to hang around Jesus. It's just good to be in the crowd. That'll, that'll take care of it. That'll do it. You know, there are Christians in the church who never give repentance a thought. We, we've been duped into believing that because we go to church, because we hear a sermon, because we give a little money, that means we must be a child of God because we are doing a few things. But, but those works are not going to get you what you deserve. 
in Christ. You know, because what you deserve is, is death and hell and punishment and all of that. But in Christ, you get to, you're allowed to deserve now by the work of Christ on the cross. You're allowed to deserve life, abundant. And Jesus says, I come to give you abundant life. Not just give you life, but give you life that is abundant. But we don't live in that abundance because we stay in that old life. Even though we have privilege to the new life. These people all heard the same teachings and the same messages. They grew up with the same understanding and the same teaching as, as did Bartimaeus. But it wasn't making a difference in their lifestyle. Surrender the old life. That's, that's, where, it's, that's, that's where your greatest life is going to start. Fourth thing, know what you need. All right? I think it's interesting that, that Jesus, when he, when he encounters Bartimaeus, he, he asks a question. It, it may be a bit peculiar. I, I, it, it's, it's kind of odd. What do you want me to do for you? I mean, he's blind. You know? but, but he asks Bartimaeus, you know, what, what do you want me to do for you? And I know it sounds crazy, but a lot of people have no clue of what they really need. And so Barnabas has the privilege to ask here. You know, he could, he could ask anything. But, but at least he had the good sense to know that it was his blindness that was restricting him. It was this bondage he was in, of being blind. And he knew that if I, if I could get free of this blindness, then, you know, I can get a job. I, I can see where I'm going. I, I, can, I can do things that I, I, I need to do. And here's the thing, when, when, when Jesus does move, when Jesus comes along, we feel the presence of God, we pull out our list. Our list is, is that, that long list of wants and desires and hopes and dreams. But a lot of times those lists never get down under where the basic needs are that we have. I need to be healed. I need to be set free of this bondage. See, some of you guys... I'm going to pick on you guys for a second. Some of you guys, you're, you're out there going, God, I, I need to love my wife more. I, I, I need to be sensitive to my wife more. I need a better marriage. I, I, I need to, to, to have a, 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 I need to feel good about this marriage I'm in. I, I, I want to enjoy it. I, 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 help, help me with my marriage. And at the root of that, though, there is an addiction to pornography that is not allowing you to do that. You need to be delivered. You need to be set free. You need, you need an encounter with Jesus where he comes and he takes away that old lifestyle so that then you can begin to work on the marriage and give yourself to, to the relationship with a greater level of purity and commitment. You need, you need to know what you need. I, I think Bartimaeus wanted money. He wouldn't be sitting there getting alms every day if he didn't. I'm sure he wanted security. I'm sure he hated being dependent on other people. I'm sure that he wanted family. I'm sure that, that his family probably did not look after him very well because they didn't need the burden or want the burden. It's very hard to find friends when you're such a needy person. He may not have had a home, a, a place to live. He certainly had no job. There's probably many other things. But he knew his real need was his sight. 
and he understood and he appreciated his need. I'm not saying fall in love with your need. I'm not saying let your need rule you or become your identity. Don't let a need become an identity. Don't let a diagnosis become an identity. Don't let an opinion become an identity. Because if you do, then that's what you live. That's who you are. He was convinced that Jesus was the answer to his needs. He comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, he calls him the son of David in verse 47. And he says, have mercy on me. Now, from what I understand, that title, Son of David, it, it, it's a very specific Jewish title. It was reserved for only really one person in the world. And that was the Messiah. I, I think what this man is saying here is, is you know, when, when he calls Jesus Son of David, not only did he know what he was doing, I think the whole crowd knew then. This man is like a prophet all of a sudden. This man is like an evangelist all of a sudden. This man has insider. Messiah. Hey, everybody. This is him. This is the one that came. The one that everyone has said is going to come. He's here. Messiah. Have mercy on me. He's saying, I believe you're the one. I've been waiting for you. You're the savior of the world. You're the deliverer of God's people. And he's smart enough to know this. And so he turns to Jesus, and as he does, he is not disappointed. Folks, Jesus is not in the business of disappointing you. Some of you, you're living in a place where God seemingly has not come through. It doesn't seem like it's worked yet. There's something in your heart. There's a broken place. There's a disappointment. There's a hurt. There's a whatever. You've carried it for so long and the enemy's gotten you to look at God as though he has withheld himself from you in some way and not been good to you. And so you carry offense even against God and you doubt if God is even good. He knew what he needed, and he knew the source where that need could be met, and it was only in Jesus, the Son of God, Son of David. When you figure out what you need, your needs are, folks, there's only one person that you can turn to in this world, and that is Jesus Christ. Last thing will be done here. Live out your faith. Live out your faith, please. You know what I love about this story? <laughs> Jesus didn't just give Bartimaeus what he needed. He gave him so much more. When Jesus said, your faith has healed you, the word he uses for healed is, is I'm, I'm told by language people, is the same word that is used for salvation. You see, Jesus doesn't just meet your need, he exceeds your needs. 
Barnabas' life wasn't changed just because he had eyes to see, but even more because he now has a faith to follow. And, and, and notice then the last thing that, that we're told about Barnabas is that he followed Jesus down the way. He followed. And you need to understand that real faith follows Jesus. And I really want to challenge you and I because I think that sometimes in our faith, we, uh, we get what we want and then we go our way. And I really, really want to challenge you that as you receive from Jesus and as he gives into your life, that you intentionally evaluate your direction and be certain that with every move of God in your life and every deliverance in your life and every healing in your life and every miracle in your life, every repair in your life, every blessing in your life, you look at it as, okay, now how do I follow in His way? Given what He has done, given what He has given to me, what He has deposited in me, now how do I follow in His way? Because I believe that everything that He does for you is purposeful for that reason, that you may follow in his way and glorify him, the Son of God. Amen.